Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The Passover was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of you. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume you. The authorities then said to him, What sign can you show for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They said, This temple has been under construction for forty-six years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. Most scholars think that the gospel story we just heard, of all gospel stories, is the one that got Jesus marked for death by the authorities. And in order to explain that a little bit more thoroughly, we have to back up a little bit in history, both in terms of historical record and also in terms of the history of the stories that are part of our tradition. Many of you will remember that in the Christmas story, King Herod is mentioned, Herod the Great. Herod the Great had come into power through all kinds of tricks and decided he was going to make himself the legitimate king of Israel, oh, about 40 years before this gospel story in front of us. He had done so by marrying a princess who was part of the Maccabean family and aligning himself with the memory of the Maccabean revolt. And then he went to Rome, and he came back to Israel with Roman soldiers at his back. He made a deal with the Romans that the Romans would protect his reign and also offer political protection by protecting Israel and the eastern part of the Mediterranean from other powers 
And in exchange, of course, under the Pax Romana, the tribute would flow. Now, Herod was remembered as great because one of the many things he did was start a whole bunch of building projects, including the rebuilding of the Second Temple in Jerusalem, which is referenced in today's story. But it was a classical worldly affair. The temple would be made and glorified, but they had to raise money to do that. So they would do that by milking all the people who came from all over Israel and probably the wider diaspora at times too to make sacrifice as the Jews had done for centuries before then in the temple to make atonement with their God. And there was a whole host of middlemen, the priestly class, other elites and religious authorities in Jerusalem, and there were money changers, and there were people selling the animals for sacrifice, and all of them were scraping a little bit off every transaction. From a worldly standpoint, and from a standpoint like ours in the West today, it was a pretty good little economic model, and it worked. Rome kept the peace, Jerusalem was stable, and people got their religious practices taken care of. But what upsets Jesus when he arrives is the fact that it has made, as the world tends to, all things transactional. There was always a quid pro quo. In order to gain favor with God, you had to pay enough coinage to get the right sacrificial animals. And for people who struggled in the Judean countryside, that was always a tall order. And Jesus knew that. He had been with them. He had been teaching with them and spending time with them and feeding them. And he knew what it was like for them to be making a subsistence living. And on top of that, it created a theological perspective, which was that our God is transactional. I like to call that the ATM God, by the way, right? You know, and sometimes it seems that way in our prayers, right? We plug in a certain prayer, we put it in the right pin code, and out pops some grace or gift. That's what offends Jesus so profoundly. This is one of the primary paradoxes of our faith, and it comes up to us over and over again in the readings today. It's a bit buried in that really ancient text from Exodus, but you notice that in the delivering of the Ten Commandments, God speaks to the people directly. He gives them these commandments. The rest of the law is mediated in the text through the words of Moses. But this seems to be the heart of things. And God begins with the Shema, the ancient prayer of Judaism that puts God first, always. And God even goes 
a little bit further and says, I will you know, visit the failure to honor me on subsequent generations. That's something the prophets will argue about later. But you notice the next part, that fidelity will be rewarded to the thousandth generation. So there is this sense in which God's grace and gift, even this early in the tradition, is so beyond measure, we cannot describe it fully. This is not a transactional God, ultimately. This is a God who loves us through thick and thin, who called God's people out of slavery in Egypt before they even knew who he was or what he was about, and a God who remained faithful even when God's people were not faithful. Paul, when he's writing to an early Christian community in the middle of the first century, <coughs> takes a different approach and he talks about the cross as the central symbol of this early new faith. And he talks about the paradox and how it looks like foolishness to the rest of the world because it's a symbol of death and execution and dissolution talks about how the faithful perceive it completely differently because they have stepped out of the world of transaction, the world that makes sense, and into this new world of grace and God's gift and generosity. Embodied in Christ who has given himself over to death to defeat death. That's the paradox, right? Who has given himself over as an innocent so that even the sinful may be healed and redeemed. Who has given himself over so that you and I might live. The great gift of God's grace. A gift beyond all transactions. That is what we are given to wrestle with this third Sunday in Lent. This sense in which the God we expect is not the God we get, and that there is nothing we can do to earn what we have been given, this life or the life to come. All we can do is respond with the same kind of love that we have received. I don't know about you, but for me, stepping out of the notion of a transactional God kind of breaks my brain. You know? Because the rest of my life is spent earning things, contracting things, building relationships so that there's some level of quid pro quo. But with God, all of that is swept away. We have instead a God who has loved us into being and who insists on continuing to love us into being, whether we deserve it or not, whether we earn it or not. And that's a hard one to take to the bank, isn't it? 
That's actually good news. And it's why the gospel for thousands of years has spoken first and foremost to the people who have been told by the world that they don't deserve anything. Why the gospel speaks most powerfully in our lives when we are down and out and not on top of the world. And why we have to be taught over and over and over again through scripture, through our gathering together in community, and by our friends and neighbors who are faithful, that when we are on top of the world, we must remember that it is not through our own effort. It is a gift, and a gift meant to be shared. I leave that with you this week in Lent for your reflection, for your contemplation. Remembering that, as the good book says, you were bought with a price, a price that you could never repay. And that price is God's love for you forever. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.